It's time. Thank you for tuning in to The Force Report. I'm T.D. Arnold. My special guest today is going to be the legendary Grammy Award winning, Patty Austin. Today she will be talking about Luther Vandross, Quincy Jones, and the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Plus we'll be sharing some of the music she's been doing throughout the years. So now, sit back and relax. It's time for The Force Report. It's funny. I've, I've known so many people who have gone. The only one that I remember the most where I was when I lost them, uh, and, and and I think it was as profound. Um, I think I know who you're going to say. And the most recent. You might be surprised, but it was Luther. Well. Uh, Luther and I were like brother and sister. Wow. And... I was in my car and they announced that uh, he had died. I don't remember the date or anything. I just remember the incident because I had my car at a car wash and it was kind of lined up with all the cars that had already been washed. So I went to, you know, get up to get in it. I got in and I turned on the ignition and here and had the radio on and the guy makes the announcement literally as I turn the radio on. And I was so freaked out that I backed up and I hit a car that was parked very close behind me. And I lost it. I just completely lost it. Mm. And I ran back down to the building where the car wash was because I, I, I wanted to find out who owned the car that I had hit and nobody knew. So I asked for a paper and pencil. I went back into my car and I wrote a note and I left it on the windshield and uh, told whoever it was, call me, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> just lost my mind for a minute there. And it, it, it just, I think it, it was, and, and Dinah, of course, was, was <laughs> Dinah was, was before Luther, but Luther and I had a di different, totally different kind of relationship. You know, I was, my relationship with Dinah, <clears throat> the closest times that I had with her, I was a little girl. Right. But, but Luther and I were the same age. Uh, we came up together in the uh, studio business doing backgrounds together. I brought him into the jingle business when I was doing jingles. Uh, I just, I knew his every dream and aspiration. We spent so much time talking about what we wanted to do and how we wanted, <laughs> and how we wanted to do it. And he was uh, just, he was an amazing person. And uh, he had an incredible talent and he taught me so much about, uh, about being in the business. He was tremendously smart about handling his business. Yeah. Tremendously smart and very patient. And, and, uh, and we just will not discuss the singing, you know. The, the things that came out of his mouth <laughs> that had that had notes wrapped around them and and melody were always magical you know the, the, the first time I heard him sing was in the studio with the Brecker brothers we were working on an album together and um, Mike and Randy asked me to come and do backgrounds on this album they were working on and at that time in my career I was doing just like tons of studio work and usually when I was doing that tons of studio work I was um, the contractor for the session and I was doing whatever vocal arrangements were required and very often most of the time the vocal arrangements were done you did head arrangements you did them on the spot they'd play you the track and you'd hear the infamous words what do you hear here and with that you would do a vocal arrangement mm -hmm. So when Mike and Randy called me and they just called me and they didn't ask me to book anybody, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of strange. You know, usually normally I would be booking this session. I wonder what this is all about. And I was a good tad, I will admit, I was a tad indignant that I hadn't been asked to book the other singers or anything else. So I walk in to the studio, happened to be Electric Lady, which was like 
the hottest place in the world to be at that time, musically. And Mike and Randy walk in, we're laughing, we're talking. And, and um, I said, so what's going on? You're gonna play me anything? They said, well, we're waiting, uh, waiting for somebody. At which point in walks Luther, this big baby face, hmm. gigantic man. And um, he said, hi. And he was kind of breathless when he came in. Hi, I said, hi. I'm thinking to myself, okay. And they said, well, you know, Luther's got a couple, you, you got a couple other people coming to you. Yeah, yeah. And so um, Luther, maybe you can start uh, until the other girls get here. Maybe you can show Patty what, what's, what's gonna happen here. So now I'm really indignant. I'm like, show me what's gonna, who is this? <laughs> That's what's going on in here. Out here, I'm going, oh, okay. <laughs> so they play the track and he starts, singing what the part is that he wants me to sing. And I'm, I pretty much fall to my knees and go, I'm not worthy. <laughs> please let me, allow me to stay here with you, please. He was just freaking brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. This voice. Um, can you imagine you've never heard Luther's voice in your life and you're standing in a studio and this man starts singing. Wow. With that, you know what that voice was. Yes. You hear it, you can, I don't even have to, you don't even have to hear it to hear it. You can hear it, you know, there's just yeah. something it's... so magnificent about it. And to hear it the first time was just, it was just like, oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, and, I remember. And yes. the arrangement was brilliant. It yeah. was absolutely brilliant. And his musical ability was just insane. And everybody he brought to sing with him was as badass as he was. And we had a ball. And that began a love affair between us. And we started working together all the time. And I had just gotten my toe in the door to start doing jingles. And I was doing like major campaigns. And we were talking one day and Luther said, can you get me on any of those jingles you're doing? I said, yeah, I, can, I think I can make that happen. I said, now, you know, it's like a whole other, it's a whole other thing. He said, I know, I know what to do. Mm -hmm. He said, okay. I said, because I'm going to recommend you and you have to make me look absolutely magnificent. He said, I know how to do that. So we laughed and I recommended him and they called him and he made me look magnificent. <laughs> mm, hey. and, and they started calling Luther for everything. But he did not just want to do jingles. He had a plan. Mm. The reason he wanted to do jingles was because the money in the jingle business at that time was insane. It was insane. And he wanted some of those bucks. But he had a plan for those bucks. He didn't just want to make a whole lot of money. Right. He wanted to make a lot of money so that he could buy three semis, fill one of them with sound equipment, mm. another, <laughs> I'm sorry, one semi, two buses, another with the band, another bus for the band, and, and the background singers, and the dancers, <laughs> and That's... another bus for, he had this, he had it wow. all laid out. And I'm gonna have two dancers, and I'm gonna have six background singers. And Patty, where do you get your clothes made? I told him, he went there, had gowns made for everybody. He said, cause my background singers are gonna be like solos, solo singers. And we're gonna, and the band's gonna be jamming, and it's gonna be this, and it's gonna be that. And he sang on jingles for, I'd say, three years altogether. Three years of top ramen and staying in a studio apartment. Wow. And the next time I saw him, he had a semi full of sound equipment. My goodness. Three yeah. buses and a partridge in the country. <laughs> and a part of the that. The rest is history. Wow. So that's, I mean, just methodically saved up every penny, methodically put the show together, methodically figured out what the music was going to be. Just brilliant, you know, and most, I don't think most people know that about Luther.
disco dancers get. <laughs> I don't believe it. It's true. Come on. Yeah, it's from <laughs> snapping your fingers to the music, and it's you something like, up. I swear I didn't. <laughs> I swear I didn't. That's just like you. <laughs> I'll bring it to you in writing. It's a, something akin to tennis elbow. Mm -hmm. It comes from... And bowling Jamming me. on the group. Bowling, bowling <laughs> And raging bull. <laughs> and, and it, and it um, makes you look funny. <laughs> it makes you look funny when you so get you old. Should you should with caution. caution. With great caution. Because the Surgeon General you should says not, it could be hazardous. You should find theory. something else to snap. <laughs> <laughs> snap something else and don't snap don't your fingers. Don't snap your fingers. It's not a good move. You're going to be able to recognize the disco generation. By right. creeping their fingers, white suits, white suits and crippled fingers. <laughs> a lot of chains. A lot of chains. <laughs> I used to listen to Donna for years. <laughs> I do a whole bit with. I listened to Donna Summers back in 19. I guess it was 75. Look at me now. I have a legal suit against her. <laughs> Destroying my health and my hands. <laughs> I used to get down, now I can't even get up. <laughs> that could be a funny movie, though. It really could. Uh, all the, all the, the people disco generation. Everything that 30 years from now, when the right. people are about 70 and 80, mm -hmm. all the people used to party every night and get high and everything. <laughs> That'd be funny. Very Some funny. Old tutors, man. Very you know funny. what I mean? <laughs> Man, trying to do a line, <laughs> they can't even see it, man. <laughs> oh, God. Old Judy. Old Judy. <laughs> Come on, Tommy. Please, you You know, when, when once he hit his 70s, he didn't care no more, you know. And he started doing interviews, and people are like, oh, my God, do you believe he says He's like, do I give a shit anymore about this stuff? Yeah. Come on, this is not a, this is not what's important, but if you want to know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> he was in so much trouble for, I don't know, five years after. I remember, I was like, did he just say it? Well, yeah, I remember that. That was... <laughs> And uh, if we didn't know what you was going on, let him just talk. He's worse yeah. than me. <laughs> yeah, glad. I mean, uh, but then, but he, but that was just. I guess that was just Quincy. I mean, I guess him and uh, maybe him, him and Clarence Avon had some uh, some good times. I guess. Oh, <laughs> so. Jesus. I mean, I don't. I can't even start that. <laughs> I mean, Clarence. Now, Quincy always says to me, "When are you?" He says, "When are you going to write a book?" I wrote my book. When are you going to write a book? I said, I have to wait for you to die because half of it is about you and how tacky you are. I am not writing this freaking book while you're alive. I said, I got to wait for all the kids to die. I don't want to be hated the last 10 years of my life because I tell the truth about your ass. So, no, but he's, he's um, Quincy has been everywhere with everyone at least, at least 10 times. Uh. <laughs> He's just fascinating. And when you're in his company, uh, you are bound to meet the most amazing people. And because of him, I've, I've been able to meet amazing people and create, fortunately, create my own relationships with them. But um, you, you will certainly be exposed to everything life has to offer in the company of my beloved godfather. And he he's um, he's just an, he's an amazing spirit. He's wow. uh, ever ready, ever ready bunny. I tell you, I <laughs> I was doing a thing. Uh, this was a few years ago for Quincy's. I think it was the seventy fifth birthday celebration. He and Michael Caine celebrated their birthdays at the same time, and have been doing it for years. They call themselves Celestial Twins, mm. and they were born same time i think on the same uh um um uh, longitude and latitude uh um just like all these similarities and so this particular year um i think it was cleveland clinic did this huge fundraiser and used their birthday celebration as the as the purpose and um 
So everybody was at this thing and they had me interview people for a live stream that they did before the show started. And <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever met Snoop. And so I interviewed Snoop and we were talking about Quincy. I said, well, do you have any great Quincy stories? He said, look, here's the thing. He said, have you ever partied with Quincy? I said, do you know who you're talking to? He said, yes. Okay, so you partied with Quincy. So you know that what I'm going to say is true. I said, okay, what? He said, Quincy's always the last person to leave a party. <laughs> 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 and so I start cracking up. I said, yes, this is true. <laughs> I said, well, I have an imitation that I do of going to a party with Quincy. He said, what's that? I can't show you because I get up to do it. But usually I sit in a chair and I put both my legs up straight up in front of me. And everybody goes, why are you doing that? I said, because I'm at a party with Quincy and the vacuum cleaner is coming through. It never, I have never been at a party with him. We're at a party at the Kennedy Center after the, 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 the thing that we did, right? right. For the uh, museum. Right. Yeah, and yeah, yes. the guys come, the cleanup crew is coming with the <laughs> vacuum cleaner. And, you know, my legs are up in the air once again. So Snoop said, no, Snoop said, man, no, man, I got better than that. I got, I got better than that. He said, we were in a tent and they started taking the tent down. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was sitting with Quincy and, and you hear, like, you know, those metal poles are like, yes. and the thing's going like, oh my God. <laughs> They start taking the tent down. That's, oh, that's one of those, it was one of those tented, you know, they do. The yes, thing. I know what you're talking about. That's, elegant tent events. Yeah, man. that is too. Oh. He yeah. said he had, to, he had to whisk him out of the. <laughs> Come on, man, it's time to go. Out of the last bit of tent. Yeah. That was still standing. Like, what is it with him? He, he wants that. He, he wants to be the last guy in the room, I guess. He just wants, he wants to party all the time, party all party the time. All party all the time, yeah. He's a. <laughs> The music can't stop, you know. <laughs> it never, it never stops for Quincy. It's just wow. He's impossible to keep up with, and um, he's he's just he's amazing. You met um, uh, the King of Pop. Was that through Quincy? Duh, duh. Oh, I mean, it's, <laughs> oh. duh. Well, <laughs> and uh, I guess because you were on uh, on the on the author all album anyway, so I mean. Well, and, but but I had actually worked with with Michael through Quincy on the Wiz. On the Wiz, that's, okay. That's the first time I worked with Michael because I was doing all the I was doing vocal contracting. Right. And um, as a matter of fact, circling back to Luther, you know, Luther wrote, "Can you feel a?" Oh yeah. Okay. And okay. that was in the movie. Wow. And I had the book because Quincy wanted authenticity. I had to book 350 singers Good to God. sing Can You Feel a Brand New Day. And uh, it was, uh, to say it was a, uh, a <laughs> contract God. nightmare would be a gross understatement. Ooh. This is like long before, you know, I, how many years ago? There were, I don't even know if they had fax machines at that point in time. I don't know if they did. <laughs> fill out 350 forms for all these people to go to, you know, to get them paid through the union. But anyway, that was the first time I worked with, um, with Michael. Uh, he was a very strange boy at that time. He would sit in the studio with a, with a pad and pencil and write um, anything that he heard someone say that was clever or a recommendation for some music or a book or whatever. He's constantly taking notes about everything. Very shy. Mm. Um, not very verbal, at least not with me, not really with anybody because I was around him all the time. So, you know, I got, got a pretty good handle on his behavior mm -hmm. and that was pretty much it at that point. And then I didn't, um, I don't even think we ever spoke in the whole time that I was working on that project. That project went on for a while. And I was in the studio with Michael, I would say at least three times a week, sitting within, you know, three to five feet of him all the time. So, and the most was like, hi. Wow. That was pretty much it. And then we worked on Off the Wall. Um, 
but before that, before that, I was staying at Quincy's and um, Michael came over to the house and Quincy had this room separate from the main house. It was kind of like a den. It was, it was his music room. And um, Michael came to the house and went directly into Quincy's den. And Quincy and I were, he was working on something. He was listening to demos or something. <clears throat> Michael was supposed to come. He knew Michael was coming. And Michael came and um, came in the room and sat down with Quincy and I. And the phone rang and it was something that Quincy had to go into the other room to be on the phone. And I remember feeling this horrible dread because I was now going to be in the room alone when Quincy left to get on the phone with Mr. Hi. Right. I'm like, <clears throat> so there's this, and I, and I also decide, you know, I'm not going to start a conversation. I'm, I'm not going to engage because he was, his career was just starting to blow up. Uh, and I didn't know how much of that he was carrying with him. I don't know if that makes any sense when I say that, but there's like a whole attitudinal change that happens to one. I don't care who they are, how fabulous they think they are. That makes you a little bit crazy when success of that level falls upon you. Right. So, right. right. And I'd already met uh, the other incarnation of Michael because he went through many different metamorphoses, I guess if that's a word, in his life and in his career. Right. But I wasn't ready to explore any of it. So I said to myself, I said to me, I'm not saying a freaking thing to Michael Jackson with the quotations around his name while Quincy's out of the room. Five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed, 15 minutes passed, I said nothing. I looked at books and he said, you know, my father really got my mother very upset the other day. And I won't tell the story, but it was really personal. I mean, it was cringeworthy personal. And those were the first words that Michael ever said to me. <laughs> it was kind of like, what? <laughs> it was kind of like, wow. Uh, you, you met somebody like about 10 years ago and you know, see him for a long time. And, and you sit in a room alone with you and you've never really had a conversation with them. They say, you know, I killed my grandmother and put her in the attic about 10 years ago. <laughs> never really mentioned it to anybody, but I, you look like somebody that I could share with today. <laughs> and that's how Michael and I began to talk to one another. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just said, Michael, you know, I think that's a little too much information uh, from TM TMI. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? And he started laughing and I started laughing. And then Quincy came in, thank God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Walked back into the room, what are you guys laughing at? And then we laughed some more. And uh, for some reason, we just, uh, we did a lot of laughing whenever we'd get together. And then we ended up with the same management because I was with Ron Weisner and Freddie Demand. And Quincy put Michael with Ron Weisner and Freddie Demand because he had been working with them because they were working with me and I was on Quest. Right. And um, so that made my relationship with Michael closer because we had the same management team working with both of us. And um, we just we just had this fun, um, silly relationship. And he. Um, Michael was very childlike at that point in 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 his career. Very childlike, um, and uh, loved to hide behind doorways when I'd come into the studio, so he could jump out and go boo, you know. And, and I and he'd get me every time, and he loved it. You know, he'd say, "Oh, that was so great! I love to scare you. It was so fun." Okay, bastard! Mm. I got your fun right here. Yeah. I'm from <laughs> So that was my relationship <laughs> with my, and then I see, you know, and I'd have like these five, 10 year periods where I wouldn't see him. We uh, might communicate through someone and 
Oh, I know what I, I, I forgot this. After he told me the really unbelievably personal story about his family, right. uh, about the interaction there, uh, he's, he, there, there was quietness and he said, you, I heard you like to shop. I said, who told you that? He said, Valerie Simpson. I said, oh, you're going to rat out Valerie now, huh? Okay, all right, this is how you start off with me. Well, because I like to shop too. Now, this was before the world knew that Michael liked to shop. Oh, right. and, I, and I did like to shop. I did have a bit of a re shopper's reputation, but I was a piker compared to, I mean, Michael was just yeah, he was. like nuts. But I think that was another thing. I just thought of that, that, that made him gravitate to me because, uh -huh. you know, into seeing the stuff he liked and, and buying it. And uh, I was doing a lot of that at that time. It took me a while to get out of that. Also, that's, that's you know, that's another thing. We, let's go back to our, for a second, mm -hmm. to our younger artists. A, a lot of that has to, that attitude has to do with being very young and getting a whole lot of stuff that you're not emotionally ready to handle. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get too much money, too much success, too much visibility, too much of any of that stuff is very, very destructive, mm. very destructive. And if you don't have people around you that know better, you will go right into the abyss. Some people are able to claw their way out and back and some aren't, and they know who they are. <laughs> and we know who they are. You know? Well, you, you mentioned uh, just now, which makes me think, uh, my next point is having the people around you. Like you have, um, I looked into this. Is, I mean, I know Joe, and he knows your manager, your manager, yeah, um, and who's been with you a while. And thirty-one freaking years. Yeah, he's been. You guys have been. That's like a marriage. So, and might so well it might as well be. I mean, at least I don't have to put out for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, but hey. <laughs> uh, Joe told me you would you would make me laugh, uh, so uh, break my eyes because uh, I'm I'm trying to be a straight face here. You know? Why? <laughs> because I'm that. the Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Get silly. <laughs> we have got I, I remember silly. I have the deep voice like Darth Vader, and I that's right. Like, that's right. Okay, wait a minute. Yes. Okay. I'm back. I'm the serious horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. With you she said laughing okay <laughs> Woo, okay oh, uh but no but i mean it, you're um having people around you mm -hmm. and when i think of michael and looking in um and his finale yeah and um <sighs> i don't know what to say i mean it's like I remember when I was, I was in D.C. and I was at the coming out of the Library of Congress, right. And my wife at the time had called me. She said, "Did you hear about there's something on the radio about Michael Jackson dying? There was something he he no he hadn't died. They didn't say that he had died. They said non-responsive or something like that. Like, right. Yeah. I remember that was the first thing." And about maybe 30 minutes or an hour I later. I remember that unfolded. Yeah. Gradually. And it was just, yeah. it was just like, and I remember it was literally the first time I remember it was like 9-11, which I'm gonna get into in a minute, but it was like 9-11. It was like uh, being in DC, it was like everything stopped or everything was like, what's going on? It was like literally like people had stopped in their cars. I was seeing people like it was like the breath took out of a lot of people, white, black. They were like, yeah. I mean, because yeah. I mean, I just, I said, didn't I hear just yesterday? He was saying, this is it. Hey, and, and I was, uh, when that was going on, when he was in rehearsal, I was hearing uh, from, from my uh, friends that were working with him at the time, he was scaring everybody. Uh, to death with what he was doing to himself. He was, he was really working really, 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 really hard. And when I saw the movie, yeah. 
uh, and they were showing him rehearsed. I had rehearsed enough with Michael to know what Michael looked like when Michael rehearsed. And you must believe me when I tell you, Michael never looked like he was rehearsing when he rehearsed because Michael was always perfection when he did anything that had anything to do with his work. And I saw him uh, uh, marking, which dan which is what dancers do. Yeah. They won't full out do a dance, they'll you know, touch here, I'm there, boom, 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 boom. I saw him doing a lot of that in the documentary about him rehearsing. And I was like, that, that's, that ain't the Michael I know. Mm. That's a Michael, that's a, that's, a, that's a tired old Michael. And if that's Michael in rehearsal, how in the hell is he gonna do this tour? That was a big tour. And it was starting to penetrate to everybody around him. That question was getting asked a lot before he passed. How is he gonna physically do this? Cause the show was as nutty as every other show he's ever done. Right. It's like, show can be here, Michael have to do the show up there. So that's where the show was. That everything was like on bigger fire. And, yeah, fire. bigger and better than it was before. And jumping and yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and man. singing live and you know, yeah. just all of this shit. And, and he was, you know, slowly, very imploding. Slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everybody was afraid before he got on the road. That was the word on the street was right. that, wow, if he pulls this off, it'll be a miracle. He might make maybe the first three or four nights, but this tour, it was a long tour, yeah. it was a lot of one nighters. <clears throat> he wasn't getting any younger. You know, I'll never forget having a conversation years ago with Bobby Brown. This is like right after um, uh, his first big hit. And we were staying at the same hotel. We were in Manhattan. James was with me. James Ingram was with me. And we were sitting in the lobby and, and Bobby saw James. <clears throat> he came over. They started talking. They had a few drinks. We all had a few drinks. And he said, man, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And James said, what are you talking about? Bobby said, well, you know, you do those ballads and things, man, yeah, but, but I'm out there, you know, I'm dancing and doing it and it's, my knees are shot. My, you know, he started talking about, he started talking about his body, like he had the body of a 70 year old man. But what a lot of people don't remember is d dancing went from here to there during Michael and Bobby Brown and all those guys, it became a very athletic, Endeavor much more than it had been before. You know, it was it, dancing was really, really had really become physical, and and Michael had a lot to do with that transformation. You know, dancing getting more complicated, more physical, more athletic, and Bobby was just you know doing splits. It's like Prince doing splits off of everything until right. finally wrecked his body. You know, so it, all of that stuff has an effect on the, on on these artists through the years right. you know and it was so wild to hear bobby talk about it. and he was he couldn't have been more than mid-20s at the time yeah and talking about i don't know how much longer i can do this like like somebody that's been playing uh, basketball and's got two more years <laughs> he's going into his yeah. 30s and ready to retire I'm like damn oh. and and he's really the one that kind of brought it to to james and i to to our attention you know we're like yeah that i guess so and and you you think about the level of the dancing that he's doing and he's doing it every night every night he's doing one-nighters and he's traveling every day and going to the gig and dancing like a maniac and getting getting you know four hours of sleep and getting on another plane and doing it again hard on the chops man you know, it, were it, you it, surprised about Michael? Mm -hmm. No, we those of us who were in the inner circle, actually, we used to say uh, kind of as a joke that Michael would uh, would never see 50. He actually would, but he would fake his death and, and go off somewhere because he just didn't want to get old in front of anybody. He wouldn't want to do that. So when he actually did die, the way he did die, we were all, you know, that 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 made us stop chuckling about that. Yeah, brother, you know, we were just kidding over here. No, it it it, it, it 
I don't think anybody that really knew him was terribly shocked, you know, and the more we found out about what all, what all he was doing to his body and to himself and, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. He was a very damaged, uh, sad, brutalized young man. And um, with <laughs> an insane amount of talent and uh, an incredible amount of energy. And if he had a different upbringing, he well obviously would have been would have been a totally different person. So I was, I had been um, invited to Michael's 25th anniversary at Madison Square Garden. This was a huge event. And what a lot of people don't know, I've always thought somebody should do a documentary or maybe a docudrama about this, the day before September 11th. Because what a lot of people don't remember is the day before September 11th, they had Michael's uh, celebration at Madison Square Garden, uh -huh. the 25th anniversary. I remember. It, I think it was the Country Music Awards. One of the awards, there was another award show happening in Manhattan at the same right. time. Right. And what happened after uh, September 11th, there were a lot of artists that were still in those hotels because they were there for the, these big things, but they were like in the presidential suite and the record company was paying for it. Wow. And now, it's three days into the the shit and the record company ain't paying for it anymore. <laughs> and it's $3,000 a night because you're in the presidential suite. So that got ugly for a lot of people. Oh, wow. And a lot of drama happened after that because people don't think about it, but every freaking celebrity alive was in New York City the day before September 11th. And a lot of them couldn't get out. At, at, I don't know if you know who Greg Fillingaines is. Yes. Or not, but they got in a car in a rental place with some people that were renting a car and they drove cross country and got, that's how he got back to California. Wow. And there were hundreds of stories like that at that time. So I got invited to, to this thing and um, David Guest produced it. And David uh, is the guy that married Liza Minnelli. Mm -hmm. And he was an amazing character. And I used to do a lot of stuff with David. And um, they sent me an airline ticket to come in and be at the, the thing for Michael. Now, the, the thing for Michael, they did over two nights, but they couldn't get the garden. They did it on a Friday. I think it was a Friday and a Sunday, but they couldn't do it on Saturday because something else had been booked in there years before. So they had to split up the nights of Michael's thing. And I was originally invited to come on the first night. And... Um, but my mother had just had a stroke and I didn't want to, it was gonna be the first time I was gonna leave her. She was in San Francisco. I was gonna to fly to New York for this thing. Uh, and I had lined up someone to take care of her, but I was not feeling good about it. And I wanted to get in and out as quickly as possible. So I called David Guest and I said, David, uh, um, this is gonna be rough for me because my mom just had a stroke and I wanna get in and out. And he said, well, wait, wait a minute. Uh, let me get back to you. And he, he put me on hold for like 15 minutes. I'll never forget it. I'm here banging and stuff in the background. He gets back on the phone. He says, you know, come on, come and do the, do the show. Uh, come for the early show, come for the Friday show. And then you can be out by the weekend to be back with your mom. I was already booked on the flight out for the day after, which was the flight, because I was going back to San Francisco, that was the flight that the passengers decided to take down before they'd let it go into the Capitol building, which is what they were planning to do. Mm. I was going to be on that flight. And the only reason I wasn't on that flight was because my mom had a stroke and I called David Guest and told him I'd rather get back to her before the weekend was over. And I almost didn't do that because they bought me a ticket and they sent me the ticket. And the reason I called him at all is because I didn't want them to waste the ticket on me. I was willing to, because I had to change the day, I was willing to pay for the ticket myself. But I said, no, let me call David and let him know. Maybe he can use the ticket. And in the meantime, he changed the day that I was coming to do the show. Had I been there on Sunday, I would have taken that flight the next day and not be here talking to you. Wow. So, 
that was that that was a very big uh that was one that's of those life moments that's life. like yeah wow yeah, that was one of those moments that made me say okay i'm here and i've got shit to do obviously <laughs> i can't i can't tip on out of here quietly apparently i got stuff to do so yeah. that was a jolt to the system but I'll never forget when I was asked to do it. I hadn't seen Michael for years. And I literally stood in a mirror and practiced what my expression was going to be when I looked at him because he had had so much work done and it had gotten to this really grotesque place where aesthetically he just looked scary. He looked like a Japanese anime cartoon figure. He had a line for a nose, and, oh. and I was told by everybody that knew and loved him that he could barely breathe anymore, and he was having all kinds of surgeries to correct this. And his eyes would look like a big doe in the headlights. And so was I this the mic that you saw? That was the one I saw. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> when I get upset, I, my New York accent comes back. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay? So I'm in a mirror all night going, hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. Because wow. I don't want to go. Ah! And, I see it. And, <laughs> and when I saw, when I finally saw him, and he was walking up to everybody, grabbing their hands and looking them in their eyes and going, "I love you." And he'd go to the next person, "I love you." I'm like, "Oh, oh shit." Is this, uh, is this the little brother that used to jump out from behind a door and go boo? Now he's trying to walk around, you know, like a saint talking about, I love you, I love uh, you. Your, your sins have been like pardoned. Out of the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I mean, it was just more than I could bear. But I literally practiced trying not to freak out when I saw him because it, it, he had done so much scary work. He'd had so much work done to his face. It was like... It was just, it was so sad. And I always felt that he had all that work done because um, he didn't want to look anything like his daddy. Like Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, thought, he, I, I was, I've always wondered if there was something that you're trying to recreate something, almost like this Peter Pan. Well, everything yeah. would, everything was Peter Pan. It was like yeah. Never, Neverland. And then you're, you're trying yeah. to go to this yeah, but the, the, and the voice, you know, his voice was very high. His speaking yeah, voice was very high. Yeah. And I thought that was because Joe always favored the girls in the family. He always gave always gave them a little bit lighter treatment. And so I really think, you know, you see that all the time when you're a kid right. and you associate that with kind of, you know, this kind of thing. And so he kind of went there. I think he felt it was protection for him to, right. to, to, become to speak a in a higher range and to, you know, kind of, uh, act like a little demure girl, you know, because that because the girls in the family, like I said, they they didn't get as much brutality. They got a different kind of brutality, but they didn't get as much as the boys did. It, it, Joe was in their butts all the time. It was like, you know, you come home from school, you rehearse for 10, <laughs> 10 hours yeah. and get your homework done too. Where and then here's Michael with, the, you know, the golden freaking goose, man, you know, with all the talent. So all of the pressure was on him very, very, very early on. And he was very, when I, when we were working together, um, that period, maybe like about a five or six year period that we worked together on and off on records and gigs and whatever. And um, he was very, 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 very afraid of his dad. Very afraid of his dad. Yeah. Very afraid. It was, it was not a good relationship. It's funny because I said something about that and somebody from the family got very upset that I said it, but I'm not telling a lie out of school. It's just the way it was. I mean, he got on the phone with me. I can't tell you the times that he got on the phone with me just in tears about stuff that his dad was doing that, you know, his father would book him on a gig (laughs) and he's already got, he's already got a manager who's booked him on a gig the same day, but the gig that his dad has booked him on is connected with the boys in Jersey. So if you don't show up, somebody gets their fucking ankles broken. So Mm. here's Michael in the middle of this shit going, you know, Freddie's got me booked here and my dad's got me booked there and I don't know what to do. He'll kill me if I don't do this gig. And they'll, and if I don't, (laughs) if he doesn't kill me, they'll kill him, you know? So all that kind of stuff was always going on. This is when Michael was huge. This drama was fun. This nonsense. 
you know, and 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 uh, it it broke him down mentally. Uh, but I mean, I now now with when when he started getting in um into the the issue with the uh, I remember that that scandalous interview that he said that he was it's okay to sleep with the little boy or sleep with the yeah, kid, I, I think, kid in I your think, in your bedroom. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, it was kind of mixed feelings that I had that day. I guess, I mean, I heard yeah. that it was, I, because in one sense where he grew up as a kid, I've heard the argument, well, he's a kid. He was in the household in Gary, Indiana. They all kind of sandwiched together and they all, and so, and then I, I said to somebody, I said, look, Michael Jackson for his 25th, uh, 25th, not anniversary, but his 25th birthday, mm-hmm. he had the seven dwarfs <laughs> I mean, at his birthday party. I mean, he's a grown man. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. mean, I mean, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't sound like the normal kind of, I wasn't having no, at a birthday yeah. party I had, I mean, that just seemed kind of weird. I mean, it's just so, so I don't know. It's like, you want to say, well, is he something going on with these kids or is it just, he just a kid that he's mentally put himself in another world. Well, he, I think uh, I think unfortunately that if you know anything about pedophiles, he totally fills the profile. Totally. Yeah. And had a background. I never saw him in bed with anybody, so I cannot say what he did, whether he did it or didn't do it. But I uh, just knowing what I know about that disorder, because it's a disorder. Yeah. Um, he he was a he was a victim of pedophilia, and by that I mean not that he he I think that he abused children, but I don't think that he looked at it as abuse. I think that he was abused, maybe not sexually, but certainly emotionally and mentally, mm-hmm. and I think that's how it manifested itself in his life. And you talk to most pedophiles; they do a lot of rationalization about their behavior. And there's nothing wrong with this. And I'm showing him the right way. And this is what you do. And when you love someone, this is how you treat them. And this is a lot of what the mantra is that they feed to the person that they are abusing. So it creates tremendous confusion in the person that's on the receiving end of it. And you don't get that way, uh, like they say down south, by topsy. You know, that Mm. comes from a whole lot of messed up. Yeah. Mess up background. It just you know, and and I don't know how you you get around it. We've just we've got and and power just does bad things to a lot of people. They just cannot handle it, and they use it as an opportunity to be abusive, and and they just can't uh, um, balance that that yearning and that uh, that feeling of being able to lord over every situation and everybody around you you know it's how you get to take control who am i going to do best with controlling a child i can tell a child anything they'll look up to me literally and figuratively yeah i mean i get to have control over a situation that i never had to have control over as a child huh. you know that's why it's so dangerous when you have that kind of background I think people need to think much deeper about whether or not they want to have children if they have a very abusive, come from an abusive background, unless they're going to do a lot of work on themselves so that they don't pass that on. I mean, here's the the thing I look at it. I know for for me, I mean, and being a producer, I had a situation a while ago and it was a a parent wanted me to produce or work with their young daughter. Right. I said, okay, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, she, she brought her in, I listened to her, so she got to, uh, so I'll, I'll work on a nice whatever song for her age appropriate, and I right. said, okay. I said, when, um, so, so she said, I'll drop her off, I mean, drop, no, 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 oh, <laughs> no, you're not dropping anybody, you're going to come here and stay in the same room with her, you know, and so you're going to, there's going to be, you know, a parent here, she Hello. said, no, I trust you, I said, let me tell you something, Mm-mm-mm. Is if I was me and I didn't know me, I wouldn't trust me. Okay. I mean, I mean, you don't know who I am. You don't know what okay. I'm capable of doing. I said, I mean, right. you don't let somebody be with your kid 
for whatever amount of hour. I don't give us 30 minutes, an hour, or whatever. And so I it, it's I didn't understand. Like I said, you know, I have kids and I was like, well, they're grown now, but I wouldn't somebody asked me, would you let would you let Michael Jackson would, would I I said, I wouldn't let anybody that I didn't know. I mean, I mean go because no, no he's a stranger. I don't know him. I mean, what? Sure. I mean, sure. it was weird. I mean, I just thought that was weird from. But the Anthony, here's the thing. A lot of times, uh, this goes back to what I was talking about before. You know, are you doing this as a kid because you want to do this or because mommy wants you to do it because she always wanted to be a star? And, and I hear so many parents who have kids in the business who get in compromising positions and then you have a discussion with them after the fact about, you know, why weren't you doing your job? Well, I knew that she would make it further if she went in and talked to the guy and blah, 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 blah. And they start rationalizing what they've allowed to happen because they don't really care what the kid has to go through to reach their pinnacle. They just want them to reach the pinnacle. And if it means I drop my daughter off at your house and you work with her and oops, maybe she gets in trouble. Well, we'll talk about that later, but at least she'll be a little bit further ahead with her career. Oh. <laughs> and that's what you're dealing with with a lot of people. A lot of people are, are that way. A lot of kids, you look at somebody like Britney Spears, mm -hmm. who lets their daughter, how old was Britney when she did, oops, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Who lets their daughter become the, uh, uh, <laughs> the dream sequence for every dirty old man in America. Yep. I'll never forget, I was sitting on a plane and uh, going somewhere and I was usually always the only uh, woman and the only black woman in first class wherever I went. Uh, and so I'd be, I'm sitting on this plane and Britney Spears is a big star and this is when they start showing movies on the plane while everybody's pre-boarding, you know, they have the screen down and they're, and they're showing a clip of Britney Spears, oops, I did it again, and every man, and in first class, they were all white, had a newspaper in his lap. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, this is very, this is a lovely thing to do to your daughter. That is, yeah. To, throw, to, to pimp her ass, throw yep. her out there like a little teen slut, take her off of Disneyland and put her in, in, in whole land. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's, yeah. If that don't fuck up your head, I don't know what does. And did, did she not lose her mind yeah. completely? You know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that her parents were push, 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 push. And it makes you crazy. You can't do yeah, it. It does. And, and, and it and makes Michael crazy. And I can name countless kids that I've worked with through the years that, that didn't make it to the adult side of their careers. A lot of them didn't want to. Um, and, and a lot of them were devastated by the fact that they had 15 minutes of incredible fame. And then, it, and then the crickets came, you know. It was, so were the, my, uh, my parents did not let me go. My mother traveled with me on the road till I was like 35. I had wow. to, uh, she said, can I please stay home? No, come on, let's go. <laughs> I, w I went, I'll never forget. I went, uh, I made my first record. We went to the record company. My mom and dad are sitting there and the head of the record company comes in. And he says, well, we're going to send Patty on a uh, promotional tour, uh, radio stations. And um, John over here, I'd like to introduce you to John. He'll be taking uh, Patty around. And my parents started laughing. <laughs> they just start just like you're laughing. That's exactly <laughs> that. They laughed just like that. My dad said, you are funny, man. There is no way you were taking my job on the You got some extra tickets up in there? Because her mother will be going with her. Yeah. First, if you go anywhere. So let's get that straight now. And um, would you? Send your daughter on the road with the, what's your name again, dude? Yeah. I mean, you know? And so yeah. they never, I never went anywhere as a matter, but my mother was extremely fly. And I always, whenever I'd get on the road for like two days with anybody, they'd come back and say, maybe you should be watching your mother on the road because. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> who's, who's the daughter? Your mother who's... is a little too fly for me. Yeah, your mom is fly. So, oh, yeah. so, so was it, so how'd you hear about, Jackson not liking what you said. Um, I I went somewhere like about two or three years later, and um, uh, uh, I can't remember which brother saw me and gave me uh, very dark parts of his ass to, to kiss. <laughs> and and somebody said uh, he heard what you said about 
about Michael. I said, what did I say about Michael? Well, you were talking about when you worked with him and, and uh, Freddie demand that, that Michael was very afraid of his dad. And we're, I said, well, that's not, that's, that ain't a secret. You know, I said, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand around when I know somebody, <laughs> excuse me, done some fucked up shit and you're gonna come over to me and ask me if they did it. And I saw it and I'm gonna go, oh no, I, I didn't see that. That's why we're fucked up now. You got people that see horrible things go down and they, oh, I didn't, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. No, I saw it. I heard it. it. He was fucked up. Let's talk about it. So we don't do that again. So we don't have to see another Michael Jackson get destroyed. It's the fact that you don't talk about it. Oh, don't say that. Well, that is the fact. Wow. He was terrified. I spent a lot of time on the phone with Michael talking him down from terror attacks about his dad. And he even talked about the fact that he was afraid of his father, that, that his father was rough, as they used to say, he was rough on me. You know, that wasn't a secret. But, rough you know, part, part of the problem they have as a family is that they kept secrets from each other all the time. Everything's about a secret. You cannot live on this planet and keep secrets from the people, at least from the people you love. I mean, because that was a very strange... Somebody to tell the truth to. It was a strange family. I mean, all together. I mean, we, very we strange. Latoya... I mean, so I mean, I mean, I mean, I think Reby got out early, but I mean, horrible uh, going on there, horrible drama, and 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 Jackie, I guess Jackie was the was the one that really kind of stayed as far away from the yes, drama, did, yeah. being a part of the drama, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, but, was, it was a very strange. It was a. I mean, we really, we, and then you saw these kids that Michael supposedly had that was not really. They looked. I saw. I thought they were white kids, the regular white kids. I mean, how well, that's that stuff was very scary, and I was there for a little bit of that, you know, with the kids hanging out with him all the time, and it was it was not not pleasant to watch. Did they look it, like? Did they look anywhere like Mike? If you had any like idea Mike? what you were looking at, it was not yeah. pleasant to watch. And the parents kids were so enthralled with the fact that Michael was Michael that they were, you know, the, when they did the documentary about it, they talked to the parents and they were like, yeah, but it was Michael Jackson. What the hell has that got to do with whether or not he's a good person? Yeah. But unfortunately, most of the people that I meet that are at that level of power are, are complete lunatics. They're nuts. Because they can do any freaking thing they want to and get away with it. That destroys you. It destroys you. Everybody needs boundaries of some kind. And when you're just let out there like a little free range chicken, you're going to do all kinds of dumb shit. <laughs> just why? Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I don't get mad at people even when I hate them, because I know you just don't get this way just by from nothing. We yeah. all become the things that that are a part of our lives that surround us. They, they form us, they define us. Right. And, and, we, and we hate on ourselves about them. We hate each other because of them, instead of understanding that we're all being influenced by so many things. We have so many different ways we can go with our lives and so many different things we can do with our lives. And if we don't have the right folks and the right stuff going on around us, it becomes pretty hopeless to get beyond that. Yeah. And I can't get angry at people for not being able to get beyond. I've had places in my life where I haven't been able to get beyond whatever that moment is. And I'll and I'll die having moments that I'll never get to it at all. You know, wow. and having one foot on a banana peel and the other in the grave makes you see <laughs> see those things a little bit clearer. Uh, and 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 it makes you more forgiving, I think. Right. I think yeah. it makes you more. And wow. so whatever Michael endured and whatever turned him into the horrible, sad, miserable person that he was, that he felt he had to inflict himself on people, whether they wanted to be there or not, or charm them into being with him, is, like I said, it's more to be pitied than scorned. It's more to feel sad about than to say, that bastard, somebody needs to hang him by his toes, you know? Yeah. I, I, we we, we, we got to get that out of our systems. We've got to get the, the hate out of our systems. We've got to get our solution to the pollution uh, mm. to stop stop being, you know, let's kill them, let's hang them, let's lynch them. <laughs> let's, yeah, yeah. There's something between let's kill yeah. them and yeah, there's gotta how did be they something. get yeah. to this that place makes... where I want to kill them? You know, who made yeah. them 
this. Everybody comes here a piece of clay, man. Somebody's got to form you. Yeah. Form you as a human being. And so, and, and we walk around getting mad at the things that form us instead of trying to change the things that are making us do ridiculous things with our lives. Yeah. We focus on the after effect and not how the sausage got made. You know, mm. and it's really important to know how the sausage gets made. Right. On the next Force Report, Patty also talks about how she is building legacy by training new artists. She also shares about her secrets of longevity in the music industry. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others about the Force Report. See you next time. <laughs>